Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. Here's your host, Moyes Jiwa. My guest on the podcast today, Andrea Anapa Guzman, is a medical student in Peru and also an ardent researcher. In this podcast, she describes what has inspired her and what led her into a career in medicine. Here to tell her story is Andrea Anapa Guzman. Andrea, you're very welcome to this call. I'm delighted that we were able to reconnect. I know that we did this podcast earlier last year, and for some reason the internet was not kind to us. But here you are, and all is well. I want to start our conversation where we left off last time, which is we were talking about the fact that you are a medical student and that you've chosen medicine as a career. Can you talk a little bit about why you did that and what has happened since you made that decision? I have the background that uh, both my parents are physicians. I really was interested in medicine because I wanted to help people, but also I have a lot of interest in biology and how things work. It was towards that that I, uh, in medical school, that I realized I really like uh, research. So that's uh, something that I really want to integrate into my medical practice. What is it about research that you find most interesting? I think what we are trying to do with research is to find answers for questions that are pertinent in, in the case of medicine for, for patients. So I think it's a great way to find solutions that sometimes are not taken into account. For example, I, I am really interested in hematology oncology, and there are some kinds of diseases that are in the rare side that we will only be able to learn about if we collaborate between many institutions to have you know, information. So I really like that also, the clinical trials that are currently happening for hematology oncology are very promising. So that's something that I also like to, would like to also attract me to hematology oncology. In medical school, you are taught (laughs) about maybe 200 common conditions, depending on where you go to medical school. You will learn Mm -hmm. about diabetes and heart disease. You might learn about the common cancers. You might learn about some gynecological conditions. You might learn about urological conditions. But of course, beyond those 200 conditions, there are many others that you will encounter in your clinical practice, maybe 10,000 other clinical conditions. It is unlikely that you will be able to make a diagnosis of those conditions when you first see them because they are so rare. As a medical student, how do you feel about that and how do you think you can prepare for a career where you're going to be seeing things that you've never seen before? Yeah, I think that's a challenge for every med- medical trainee. We are, each time we're learning more, and there are new diseases that are being identified every single day. But I think just having a good differential, and many times you don't have to know what the disease is, but have so in mind some diagnostic testing that will be helpful to reach that diagnosis. It's definitely the field of medicine is very vast and it's very uh, difficult to be up to date in 
all of it. So I'm, I really, I really appreciate specialists that focus in a field of medicine and they can manage, even with that, like a huge amount of diseases. Andrea, what do you feel is the role of artificial intelligence in this situation where people are seeing conditions that are unusual, that their doctor may not have seen before, and where their doctor may need some help? I have seen, especially in Twitter, a lot of people asking questions using the new artificial intelligence tools that are available and using clinical vignettes to ask the artificial intelligence tools. And I think that is something that can, that has a lot of potential, but is not quite there yet. We increasingly see patient advocacy groups really assisting doctors and patients to come to terms with rare diagnosis. Have you seen that so far in your clinical practice? In my case in oncology, with patients, with patient advocates who will organize, organize between themselves, for, there is one very good example that is the, the group of people that they have lung cancer and they will, and they will call themselves Rose Wonders, like R-O-S-1 plus uh, Wonders. And they are like a group of people, uh, patients and caregivers that have, a, they can have different types of cancers but have the mutation of ROS1. So that, and in that way, like they try to get information from all the patients that have this type of mutation to look for a treatment options from them. So that's an example. And they have collaborated with, with institutions. So I really... I really believe that they, they and they are a non-profit corporation now. So I think that's a very good example of uh, patients organizing. My parents are physicians in Peru, and I go to medical school in Peru. So the first time I heard about patient advocates was actually in a conference in the United States because we don't have that kind of uh, concept in Peru, sadly. We have... And I really admire that, in my case, in the United States, they really ask for the patient voice and they even ask for input for their guidelines. So I think that's something that I didn't didn't see in Peru and I think something very important to include more in medicine, the the voice of the uh, patient. In the light of what you've said, how do you think that your practice will differ from the practice of your parents? I think the patient is more likely to uh, go home after the visit and like research more about their disease and come back with more questions. So I really like that the patient is having a more active role in their care and also that we as doctors, we can educate if, if they have any questions regarding their disease. How do you feel that patients are now changing the trajectory of their management by being so well informed? For example, there are a lot of sexual side effects of 
to patients with cancer and sometimes it's something taboo that you wouldn't start right away but if it, if it was brought to the attention of of doctors by patients so that's something as a very concrete example of, of patients being the ones of bringing attention what are your plans for your medical career from here andrea I want to do my internal medicine residency and hematology oncology fellowship in the United States. I am very passionate about survivorship, which I think is good marriage between primary care hematology oncology. Survivorship starts with a patient is diagnosed with cancer and ends when the patient dies. So it's it's for their whole lifetimes and I there are many things that we can do to help the, the cancer patients apart from just treat the cancer but also all the implications that it, it comes that they all the implications that having cancer comes with how do you think the healthcare system will change in your lifetime in terms of the management of life-limiting illnesses cancer being the second most common cause of death we we are going to see an increased number of uh, cancer patients being treated in primary care. Something that I like a lot is that there are initiatives to help primary care practitioners to treat common types of cancers, in, not in the way of like giving chemotherapy or radiation therapy, but in the way that having in consideration the toxicities that they may have for treat, uh, for the treatments are like some adverse effects that are, that are expected to appear years after completing hematology oncology treatment. So I think that's something that little by little we have to do, but I also understand that primary care is already very busy with what they have in their plate. So it, it's something that we'll have will come with time. How do you think that we can more closely integrate primary care and specialist services in the long term? The idea is that every cancer patient that finishes diagnosis should have like a treatment summary that they can take with them. They can show to the primary care doctor so they have an idea of what, what the patient went through. But not only that, but the patient can also, because they have the treatment summary, they can also do research on what they what they have done to them. So I think it's another way to empower the patients and something that I am really very excited to see, like how in many social media patients are organizing to form groups not only to share experiences, but also to advocate for themselves, to advocate. For example, there has been a movement that has been trying to ask where do the patients with metastatic cancer go? Because they haven't finished treatment, but they are still survivors. So where do, do where do they should go? Should they go to the survivorship uh, clinic or should they continue with their hematology oncologist, even though they have things that could be brought to primary care. So I think it's exciting part. This is a very exciting part in medicine right now. Mm-hmm.
The Health Design Podcast is hosted by the Journal of Health Design, an alliance with unfixed media and metal health. I know from our previous conversation that you were inspired to do medicine by your parents. Can you say a little bit about what that source of inspiration was? My father is a surgeon, but he's disabled. He lost movement of his right hand when I was starting medical school. And my mother is a pediatrician and she still works. I knew I wanted to become a clinician like my mother because I really admire like, how she would follow up with her patients since they were very little until they were adult. I really liked the bond that she had with her patients and the, the, fami- and the family of the patients, the mother, the father, how they see them grow. So I really like that. Not so much surgery because I feel it was like, I, I didn't feel that the relationship was as close as with a clinician. So I, I really like that. And I think that's something that I like about the specialty that I chose that hematology oncology, you get to know the people and you get to see them until the very end. So I really like that. I really like the relationship that you form with your patients. Um, like the, the, little thing, the little things like you get to know like the name of their pet or the name of their grandkids. Those kind of things really make a difference working as a physician. Andrea, burnout is a very high risk in medicine. As a medical student in 2023, what is your view of that and what do you think you will be able to do to prevent that happening to you? I think after the pandemic, we have seen the terrible consequences of burnout. And I think like if there was an easy answer, it would have already been told. I think something that I remind myself is that I do what I do, like I really like I am medicine to, and I am training to become a doctor for patients with cancer because I am passionate about it. And I think that's, the, that's a good first step, like being passionate about what you do, but also like enjoying the little things like uh, forming bonds with your patients. At the same time, work, uh, doing research, like trying to answer questions that could benefit our patients so but certainly doing what you love and trying to look for a work work life balance there is no formula for that but just trying to think about why you are doing the things that you're doing and keep things in perspective you're right this concept of work-life balance is bandied about a lot what does that mean to you I always say that ideally I would like to work in academia and having some protected time to do research, to teach, and also see patients. But again, this is another challenge because for that you need funding, you need grants, and there is scarcity of those. So I I know that it's uh, important, that it is a very difficult goal, but I um, I try to be like my mentors that help me be where I am. I like to give back, especially to underrepresented people in medicine, like like myself. So I think that that's a way to do it. But yeah, 
uh, there is no perfect answer. Uh, sometimes there are people who prefer to see patients over doing research, and that's completely fine. And there is people who prefer to do more research over clinical work, and that's also fine. So I think everybody has their own preferences. I and I just I haven't done started yet residency yet, so I'm pretty sure my my preference may change with time. But I think it's up to everybody. Everybody has different preference over what they would like to see. You mentioned the important role of your mentor in helping you just make some decisions about your career. Would you like to say something about who that person is and what they did to inspire you? I'm very thankful for Dr. Palawi Torka, who is an international medical graduate like me and really gave me the got me a job when I came to the States, even though I didn't have my degree yet. So and I really like that she has a family and she's able to be expert on her field and at the same time that she teaches and she does research. So that's a good role model for me. But there are many others that it would take me an hour to to mention, but that that's a good example. Andrea, you're clearly committed to your career, but what about the other aspects of your life? Do you want to reflect a little bit on what that might look like for you? We should uh, learn to also have different interests apart from medicine. You have so much pressure during the during training that sometimes you can feel you feel that that sort your whole life, but I. I try to have in mind that life is not only medicine. Andrea Napa Guzman, it's been a joy spending time with you. We wish you every success in your career. I hope we'll have another chance to speak again. Thank you. The Health Design Podcast. Serving patient and physician advocates. Visit us at journalofhealthdesign.com dot com.